Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. Good morning. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers. Um, to anyone out there who thinks that, that would say, you know, I just never had a father. You've always had a father, you just didn't know who he was. Because there's a promise in the word that says, a father to the fatherless and a defender of the widow is God in his holy habitation. And so uh, even if you feel like you grew up without a father, um, you actually have one who is your father and he's in heaven. And all he wants is just the chance to be who he is for you. That's it. He just wants to be that for you. Um, And he won't force himself, but he'll respond to every heart that turns towards him. And so, um, so if that's you and you would say, well, I, I, you know, because fathers kind of get a bad rap nowadays. Um, we, we've probably blamed more on fathers in the past 20 years than we have anything else. Um, you know, it seems like there's a few things that we've given a far more credit than we should. Um, the Jezebel spirit has been almost lifted to the same, like, equal opposite of the Holy Spirit. In, in, especially in certain Christian circles, you know, everything is the, the Jezebel spirit. And the truth is, it's greater that he, is he that's in you than he that's in the world. That means any spirit that's in the world is far less powerful than the spirit of God that's inside of you. It doesn't matter which one it is or what name you give it or how many there are. Greater is, is the one that is in you than anything you encounter in the world. And, and fathers, we've really, uh, man, we've blamed them for so much. And what, we've, what we do when we blame our fathers for things, what we're saying is that, that our well-being is in the hands of a person. And that I'm only doing as good as my father's ability to be perfect for me. And when we do that, we, we fail to realize that our, our fathers aren't perfect. And some of you guys, the best gift that you could ever give your father on this Father's Day is to forgive him and realize that all he did was what he knew to do. That's it. He was, what I have, I give. Jesus, freely you receive, freely give. Take one second and realize that He wasn't perfect and that He wasn't out to screw your life up. If He sinned against you even, He was deceived. He didn't know what He was doing. So be like Jesus who stood before the ones who were trying to kill Him and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Why? Because He understands something. He understands that people are only doing what they know. That's the best they can give. And if somebody's broken, it's not a shock when they do broken things to people. And if your ability to be okay is is based on your father's ability to be perfect, we're all in trouble. Unless we have one who is our father, and he is in heaven, and he is perfect. And we understand that. And so, listen, not like like some people will teach the the forgiveness thing of like, well, you know, if you don't forgive, your father can't forgive you. And, And that is true, right? But we're not forgiving with a selfish motive. Like, don't turn this into a formula to get something. Let this, like, like if that's the only reason that you would want to forgive is, well, I guess I have to forgive because if I don't, then God's not going to forgive me. That principle is true, but that shows my heart isn't changed. It says we forgive because He first forgave us. It's because we understand that He first forgave us. That's in Ephesians. It says that so we forgive because He first forgave us. It's this understanding of the grace that I've received and how could I withhold grace from somebody when such great grace has been shown to me. And so some of you, I'm telling you, the best thing you could do for yourselves and for your fathers is to forgive them and, and, and understand and see them as someone who did the best they could who maybe had a dad that was way worse than the dad that you grew up with. And who made promises that they would never be like that to their children. 
only to turn around and do the very things they promised they wouldn't because they didn't know a better way. They didn't understand what they were doing. They didn't know who they were. And because they didn't know who they were, they didn't treat you as you should be treated. And that is a shame, but a bigger shame than that is to allow that to determine the course of my life for the rest of eternity. For the rest of the time that I'm on earth, I could allow what was done to me to speak so much louder than what was done for me by Jesus. And I give way more credit to the sin of my father than the grace of my real father. Don't get trapped in that place. The enemy would love to keep you there. He'll bring it up constantly. There will constantly be reminders of the shortcomings, of the failures, of the mistakes. Every time you see one of those reminders, you know what you can let it do? Rather than let it become a source of anger and bitterness and raise that little offense back up in you and make you angry and hateful towards somebody, you can actually allow that to drive you to your knees for that person and get on your knees and actually pray for them and say, Father, I so thank You for who You are in my life, God. And I ask that You would just bless my Father. God, even if he doesn't understand, even if he's never apologized, some people walk around, they hold on to that he's never apologized card. And they play that. Anytime you talk to them about forgiveness, well, I can't forgive him. He's never even admitted he did something wrong. The truth is, he may not know that he did something wrong. That might have been the reason he did something wrong in the first place. He was deceived. The thing about being deceived is you don't know you're deceived. The very nature of it means you don't see. He may still not see. Don't let his being able to see what he did wrong be the litmus test for your ability to be okay. Otherwise, once again, you've placed your ability to be okay in the hands of somebody else and you're only doing as good as their ability to see what they did wrong. What if we forgave them before they even saw they did something wrong? Wouldn't that be godlike? We know that God loved us in this, that while we were yet sinners, before you said, I'm sorry, He sent His Son to die for us. For you did the first thing right before you even knew that you needed to be forgiven, before you admitted you'd done something wrong. Before you even admitted it. It wasn't a response to your admission of guilt. It was Him showing you the love that He had for you. What if we could be like Him? What if we could show the love that we have inside of us because we've become something, not because we're acting some way. And we could actually love our fathers. I'm telling you guys, listen, that's, it is such a trap. It is the, one of the biggest traps in the world is to allow people's failure to be perfect keep you from walking in the perfection that Jesus died for you to have. And now all of a sudden, everything in life is tied to the mistakes and the failures of others. And you develop a victim mentality and now nobody can say anything to you because you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what He did. Listen, I don't know what He did to you a lot of times, but I do know what Jesus did for you and I trust that the sin of a man is not greater than the grace of Jesus. I have to believe that. That's the Gospel. That's the good news. And so if we have to compare stories and the only person you'll listen to is someone with a story worse than yours, then what we're saying is, is that what people did is the most important thing and not what Jesus did. And maybe your story, He actually wants to be more about what Jesus did right than what people did wrong. Maybe you get to a place in your life where rather than every time you think, thinking through the lens of what people did to you or didn't do for you, you're actually thinking through the lens of what Jesus did for you and you can't even see what people did wrong anymore because you're so focused on what Jesus did right. Oh, that's bugging the people in the front row. (laughs) 
I've stepped on it a few times. I know I felt it. But he's able to keep you from stumbling. So I just was trusting, you know what I mean? The one that keeps you in perfect peace. He's able to keep me from stumbling. Um, I honestly believe that this whole thing that we're talking about, we're going to get into the message um, in here in a second, but I believe this is one of the biggest things that keeps us from actually walking in what Jesus died for us to have and walking in the love that God has for us. I believe it's one of the biggest things that hinders us from hearing and being able to speak God's heart to people. Um, turn your Bibles real quick to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read starting in verse 19. We're going to jump through the New Testament a little bit today. Because here's the thing. God's mind is made up. Like every word that He has spoke, He is committed to. And His mind is made up. And the enemy knows this. The enemy knows that he can't change God's mind towards you. doesn't matter what you've done wrong. It's not like God has never been in heaven going, holy smokes, if I would have known they were going to do that, I never would have sent my son. No, He knew you were going to do that, and that's why He sent His son. You understand that? Like, he's not in heaven going, oh my gosh, look how bad it's getting. If we would have known this was going to happen, Jesus, maybe we should have done something. He's never done that. He's never been caught off guard. He's the beginning and the end. He sees the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. He sits outside of time. So he knew everything you were going to do, and that's the reason he sent his son, not a reason that would keep him from doing it. And so if that's his response towards us, then how could we allow our response towards people to be any less? Because with the measure you measure, it will be measured to you. We're going to talk about that a little bit more a little bit later. But if you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19, so this is what the enemy is going to do. He cannot change God's mind towards you. So he will do everything within his power to change your mind about God. He'll do everything he can through life, through people. Around. I'm telling you, listen, it's not a coincidence that some of the things that happen in your life happen to you. It's the work of the enemy. He's here to do three things. To steal, to kill, and to destroy. And some of the things that happened in your life were the work of the enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy. And so, because of those things, a lot of times, we'll let what something that happened or didn't happen in our life affect the way that we read Scripture. So now we read Scripture with a slant. We read it with a, with a lens over our eyes of, of anger, hurt, bitterness, frustration, disappointment, any of those things, and they put a filter over our eyes. So we'll read a promise from God and we'll disqualify ourselves from it. And so we sometimes have no problem believing the truth for other people. Some people have no problem believing the Gospel, believing God can change other people, believing that, you know, that this could happen and that could happen and blessing and all this stuff. And when it's for somebody else, it's easy to believe and even to encourage other people in. But when we're alone with ourselves and with our thoughts, sometimes we disqualify ourselves from those very things that we promise other people. And the reason is because we know who we are. We think we do. And that's the problem. We start to see ourselves apart from the grace of God. And now all of a sudden, when I hear a promise from God, I disqualify myself before I even allow it into my heart because I think, yeah, but I fill in the blank. As if when God promised these things, He thought He was talking to people who would never do anything wrong. As if the Bible's promises are only written to those who never miss the mark. And so, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 19 It says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. 
all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death, or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are of Christ. And Christ is of God. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we can open it today and hear your heart. And thank you, Father, that, that every word that's written was inspired by your Holy Spirit. And that it's all good for us to learn, be corrected, be encouraged, be challenged by. Holy Spirit, I ask today that as I speak, you would speak through me. Uh, that, it, that the words would be straight from your heart, God. That they would go into our ears. That, that we would have ears to hear. God, we would, we would, we have, the Word says we have the mind of Christ. God, let us think with the mind of Christ today as we think about these things. And let it take root in our hearts, God, that it would produce fruit in our lives, God. That, that a world that doesn't know You, Father, a world that doesn't even know that they don't know You, would taste the fruit of our lives and see that You're good because of Your work in us. We thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so Paul is writing to the church, and what was going on in the church of Corinthians at this time was people were beginning to feel like they had something special because they were taught by Apollos, or because they were taught by Cephas, or because they were taught by Paul. And so they were making these claims to, well, I'm a follower of this person, I'm a follower of that person, as if that made them something. You know, they got revelation from somebody, and suddenly that became the thing that defined them, and they began to like almost have these competitions about who was greater and who was more this and that. And so Paul gets wind of this. He writes a letter to the church at Corinth. He's, he addresses this in this section. He says, look, the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. In other words, the things that you guys think are so smart, God looks at it and goes, come on. The things that don't come from Him that you've set up, these little sects that you've set up where, where you're Paul's and you're Apollo's and you're Cephas, and God looks down and says, oh my goodness, look at them. They don't understand that everything is from Me. And they're giving credit to a man. And they think there's something because of a relationship they have with a person. It, look, that stuff still goes on in church today. Like, don't be shocked. Don't be like, you know, we always like wag our finger at the church at Corinth or the Pharisees, but a lot of that stuff still goes on today. A lot of that stuff still goes on in our own lives. People feel important because of the people that they know, rather than understanding their importance isn't determined by the people they know or even by the people that know them. Their importance is determined by this God sent his son to shed his blood and trade his life for mine. And if nobody in the world knows me, it's okay because he knows me. And if I don't know anybody in this world that's important, it's okay because I know him. And that's the greatest joy. And so relationships can add to that. Relationships can add value to my life. They can add you know, fun and purpose and all these different things. But they can't change the fact that at the, bottom of, at the end of the day, the thing that makes me who I am and the thing that actually defines me is the fact that I'm known by Him and I know Him. And when that's established in me, then I can have right relationship with people and I'm not starstruck, I'm not awestruck, I'm not angling, I'm not conniving, I'm not manipulating, I'm not trying to get close so that I or get close so that they. And I don't have an angle. I just want to know you and love you. I'm not, I'm not looking for what you can do for me. I just want to know how can I love you? Jesus said that, right? He said, if any of you wishes to be great, he must become the servant of all. For even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to be the servant of all. What was he saying? Look, if you guys want to be great in the kingdom, here's how you become great. Get on your knees and wash the feet of the people around you. And if there happens to be a Judas in the crowd who's going to sell you for 30 pieces of silver and you know that before you bend down to wash their feet, it's okay, wash their feet too. Why? Because we don't love people based on what they're going to do or what they have done to us. We love them because God thought they were worth loving. And so we begin to see them as an object of God's affection. Yeah. 
And if my Father loves them, then so do I. If my Father thought they were worth the blood of Jesus Christ, I should probably think they're worth my time. We give ourselves permission sometimes, guys. I'm telling you, of, well, they're just not worth my time. But they were worth His blood. How would you ever say that about somebody? If they're not worth your time, but they were worth the blood of Jesus, you're kind of exalting your time above the blood of Jesus. I'm glad none of us ever did that, but the podcast people, I've heard. I've heard some of the podcasters could, could say those kind of things. And so, not for you guys, but for their sake. So Paul's writing this stuff, right? And then he says, so then no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours. And, and listen to what he says. Like, what's he saying? He's saying, look, everything is yours. It doesn't matter if you learn from Paul or Apollos or Cephas. Quit bragging about that. Be excited about this. Everything is yours. Why? Because Jesus said, all things the Father has given to me. And what did He say? The Holy Spirit, when He comes, He will take what the Father has given to me and He'll make it known to you. So He's saying, listen, you guys, don't brag about who your human leader is. Stop. All things belong to you. Or the world, or life or death, or the present or the future, all are yours. You're of Christ, and Christ is of God. So he makes this kind of like <clears throat> expansive list of, of extreme ends. He says, look, from Apollos to Paul to Cephas to the world. In other words, anything, even leaders that I didn't name, everything that they have that's from the Father belongs to you. That's why be real careful about like not giving, you know, like, like, like when people want the revelation that you have, that you don't like give it out in doses and feel like you have something because you earned it. Because everything that you feel like you've earned is yours. But when you give it away that way, you cut yourself off from the real supply. Because Jesus said, freely you've received, now freely give. The things I freely give make it possible for me to continue to freely receive. Yeah, don't, don't use something that God gave you to try to build a name or a platform for yourself. It's not about you. Like, all you are is a conduit, Right? Like everything that I have that's good and worth having came from Him as a free gift. Why would I ever give it out in doses or measure it out to people to try to make myself seem to be something more than I am? That stuff happens. It does. So the, whether, whether Paul or Paulus or Cephas or the world, then he says, life or death. The extreme ends, right? Things are either alive or they're dead. It's one end or the other. This is or the present or the future. All are yours. You're of Christ. Christ is of God. We've talked about this before, and it's kind of in a different light, but there's one word that's very conspicuously missing from this list. Thanks, Gladys. All right, well, prayer team's going to be up front. We love you. Say hi to someone you don't know. We'll see you back next week. Turn to Romans chapter 8, verse 38. It's okay. I asked the question. There should be an answer, right? For I am convinced that neither death nor life... Here, here goes Paul with these extreme ends, right? So he's comparing and contrasting once again. 
I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, principalities are, are demons, the, the principalities that he says we war not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, right? So he's saying against uh, uh, whether death nor life, nor angels or demons, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's an amazing statement about nothing being able to separate us from the love of God. Never ever believe that the things that you've done have separated you from His love. All they've done is they've given you uh, uh, or they've, sorry, they've given the accuser a voice into your life. That's why sin is so horrible. Because it opens the door and gives the devil a foothold, and now he has a voice in your life. That's why Jesus said, the devil has no place in me. What was he saying? I've done nothing to give him a foothold. He has no part of me. There's nothing in me that I've given to him. He can't take anything from you, but he will take everything you give him. And so, but, but what I want to point out here again is there's a, there, there's a word that is, that is missing from this list. It's, it's life and death, angels and demons, heights and depths, present, future. When he, when he comes to talking about time, he doesn't even mention the past. In both of those lists, He doesn't talk about the past. It's almost as if he forgot that the past existed. And all he could see was what was now and what was coming. Because the truth of the matter is, he's writing these lists to born-again believers. And for the born-again believer, your past does not belong to you. And you don't belong to it. Oh, that's better than just Wayman saying amen. <laughs> it's too late now. Think about it. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. All these lists. All things belong to you. All these lists. All things belong to you. But when he talks about time, about things that belong to you, he says all things belong to you. Present, things future. What, what's missing that doesn't belong to you? It's your past. Why? Because it's been covered by the blood of Jesus. And because God said that I am the Lord their God who will forgive their sin and remember it no more. Who said that His mercies are new every day. Every single day. And so... A lot of times what happens in our lives is that we forget that our past doesn't belong to us. Listen, I say this all the time. I'm telling you, there's a place that you can live in the gospel where you really believe that you have become a new creation to the point that you could, like Paul, stand in front of a group of people whom you persecuted and say, we've wronged no one. He's writing to the Christian church. Saul was the tormentor of the church. He was the most feared man. In all of Christianity, there was one person who was feared more than anybody. It was Saul of Tarsus. He made it his mission to wipe out, they called it back then, the way. 
It was the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It was the original church. And Paul, then Saul, was on a mission to destroy it. It was what he lived for. He had the full backing of the government and the full backing of the church. He had the full backing of the church and the full backing of the government to go anywhere he wanted to go, do anything he wanted to do to destroy this upstart religion called the way and wipe it off the face of the earth. And that's what he did. And he did it really, really well. To the point that when they're ready to stone Stephen, Stephen preaches the Gospel. Just like Jesus. He's got people in front of him who are going to kill him. He says they're grinding their teeth and they're picking up stones. And Stephen's just continuing to preach the Gospel to him. Why? Because he cares more about them than he does his own life because he understands, I'm okay, it's them that are in trouble. They need truth more than I need my next breath. They need truth more than I need another day on this earth. Because if I leave this earth today, I'm with Him forever. But if they die in their sin, they're separated forever. So I care more about where they're going than what's going to happen to me. And they've got murder in their eyes and murder in their hearts. And all Stephen can do is stand there before them and preach the Gospel and end it with, Father, don't hold this sin against them. Think of, Listen, that's being controlled by the love of God where you can look at people who want to kill you and say, I want to spend eternity with them forever, Father. I want to be with them forever. Don't hold this against them. The very ones who are going to smash my head with a rock, I want to live forever with them. That's because he had an eternal perspective. He wasn't living for himself. His life no longer belonged to him. That's the same kind of person that, that, and when they were ready to stone Stephen, it says they laid their coats at the feet of Saul. What was that? He was giving approval. It's okay to kill him. He approved the stoning of Stephen. And this man, now writing letters, what happened to him? He got born again. He understood the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He received the Gospel from Jesus of the New Covenant. And he said that, man, behold, if any man is in Christ, he's therefore now a new creation. Behold, everything has passed away and all things have become new. The old is gone. The new has come. What was he saying? You guys, you don't understand. When you get born again, it's not God coming and fixing you. It's the Spirit of God coming and killing the old you so that the new you can be raised to newness of life. You couldn't be fixed. I couldn't be fixed. I was a mess. It's... It's why I love the Gospel so much. It's why it's all I can preach. It's just the truth, the Gospel. Jesus said, He who has been forgiven much loves much. When you know how much you've been forgiven, you love the source of that forgiveness with all of your heart. Because you understand, I couldn't do it without Him. I I couldn't save myself. I couldn't fix me. You can't get a self-help book and fix yourself. You're the one that got you there. I'm serious. You got you there. It's like getting in a car with a four-year-old going down the interstate and realizing, oh no, we're in trouble grabbing another four-year-old and putting him in the driver's seat or trusting this four-year-old to get you out of trouble. It's like, no, you're in the mess you're in because of who's driving the car. Don't try to teach the driver at four years old on the interstate going the wrong way. Put a different driver in there. Some of us are trying to fix ourselves. You can't fix yourself. Only He can come and fix you. And the first thing that has to happen is the old you has to pass away so that the new you, alive in Christ, can live. And so, so, so Paul, has now, who's now Paul, has such an understanding of the Gospel 
that he can write a letter that will be writ- read to the entire church of people that he was set to destroy, that he persecuted, and say, receive us. For we, he's talking about him and Timothy and the people who are traveling with him, have wronged no one. You understand how offensive that would be? You understand there were people there who knew people whose lives had been ended by Saul, who had relatives, who had heard stories. And the first thing that would happen in a lot of their minds is the devil would come, who does he think he is? Why? Because if he can discredit the messenger, then he can discredit the message. So I'd be really careful when people are talking to you that you're not in your mind trying to figure out a reason why that you can't receive from them. Because even if you know something about them that would keep them from being perfect in your mind doesn't mean that what they're saying isn't the truth. That's why Jesus said, be careful how you hear. He talked a lot more about how we hear than how we speak. Why? Because he knew we'd have no problem speaking. Some of us more than others. But he understood if we could be careful how we hear, even people who might have a wrong motive who are speaking truth can actually deposit something that's worthwhile into your life if you let them, rather than finding out and trying in your mind to discredit what the messenger before you even listen to the message. And I'm sure the enemy was speaking when they would hear this letter read to them. Wait a minute, wait, hold on. What did he just say? He's done nothing wrong. Who does he think he is? It's not who he thinks he is. It's who he knows he is. And he knows the man that he is isn't the man who did those things. And that if God was never going to hold them against him because he was a new creation, then he was no longer going to hold it against himself. And the problem that so many of us struggle with is not that, we, that God's holding stuff against us. It's that we don't believe that he's not holding it against us and we still hold it against ourselves. What a trap. So, um, so Paul's, there's just so many clues that are hidden throughout the Bible, right? Like, when he makes those lists, you could just read through that and you could receive the other stuff. Like, all right, don't put earthly people on a pedestal. And that is true. Or, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that is true. But when we read it a little bit deeper and we stop and think about the fact that it was actually inspired by the Holy Spirit, there's a reason why He said all things belong to you, whether present or future. When He said nothing can separate us, nothing present nor things to come. It's because for Him, in His mind, and for the Holy Spirit who's writing through Him, and in God's eyes, your past does not exist apart from the blood of Jesus. It's just no longer there if you're born again. Because when, you, when the old you died, so did everything He did. And you'll never stand trial before Him for the things that you did before you became born again or the things you did after you got born again that were covered by the blood of Jesus. Because here's why. Because if God was to hold you accountable, then what He's saying is, is that the price that was paid by Jesus wasn't quite high enough. Yeah, you know, lying, stealing, you know, when they beat him beyond recognition and when he hung there on a cross with nails stuck through his hands, it covered lying and stealing, okay, you know, you, you fudged on your tax reports a little bit, okay, that's covered. But those big things, mm, there's still a little more left that needs to be done for those. And when we hold that against people, we're saying the exact same thing to them. We're saying, I believe the blood of Jesus covered my sins, but I'm not so sure about your sins. 
And I've set myself up to make sure that you never forget what you did because you'll hear people say that. Oh, you think I'm just going to forget what they did? Well, you're praising God out of one side of your mouth that He said He would remember your sin no more. How out of this side of your mouth are you saying I'm never going to forget what they did? There's wisdom in this world that says stuff like, well, I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. Well, you haven't forgiven. Because if God is the example of forgiveness, when He forgives our sin, He remembers it no more, so He forgets. Well, we're human, we're not God, so we can't forget. No, you're right. You may not be able to ever actually forget that it happened, but what you can do is never let that influence the way that you speak to or see somebody ever again. Because otherwise, you're judging them according to the flesh and according to what they've done, and what they've done is speaking louder than who He says they are. And if you're doing that, I promise you it's going to be really hard for you to speak God's Word to other people. Because you'll be more hung up on who you know them to be than who God says that they are. And He won't mix. So, um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 1 says, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Okay, so many people have preached this from the perspective of God, and, and, I, and that is certainly part of that verse, right? That is, is true about the Father. But, but what if this is as much about our own minds as it is about God? In other words, when I judge people according to what they've done, I'll begin to judge myself based on the same. With the measure or lack thereof of grace that I treat other people, I'll begin to treat myself. And so here's what happens. Because I'm reserving the right to judge you by the things that you've done wrong, I open the door and I give myself a voice to judge myself by the things that I've done wrong. Because with the standard I measure, I'm measuring it to myself. What, what if it's really saying, along with the fact that, that this is how God operates, that this is how we'll operate, and that if I begin to look at you and see you for everything that you've ever done wrong, I'll begin to look at me and see me for everything that I've done wrong. And all of a sudden, now I'm judging you based on the things you've done wrong, and I'm disqualifying you from the things that I know the Word tells me, or even things that God may be telling me about you, because I'm judging you based on the things that I know about you and the things that I know that you've done wrong. And pretty soon, I hear those same words of God about myself, and I can't receive them for me because I've given the devil a voice in my life through judging you. And now, the very things that I'm seeing wrong in your life are disqualifying me because I'm seeing all the things wrong in my life. Does that mean we just ignore things? No, it doesn't mean you ignore things. It means that when you see something, you realize that there's a greater truth. Well, you know, the Bible says to point out sin. It says if you see your brother caught in a sin leading to death, bring it, you know, go and talk to him. If he doesn't listen... Talk to him again with some more people. If he doesn't, then you, know, you, you cut him off and you treat him as a tax collector so that his flesh be destroyed, his soul be saved. That's all true. But here's the point. How can I come and talk to you and expect better of you if I'm looking at you and seeing you for what you've done wrong rather than looking at you and seeing you for who God says that you can be? I can't come and talk to you in love and I have no hope for you because I believe that's who you are. And if you're a liar, you're just going to keep lying. There's no hope. If you're a thief, you're going to keep stealing. There's no hope. But if I can see you the way that God sees you, then when I talk to you, it sounds a little different. Here's the difference between the voice of God and the voice of the enemy. When Adam sins, God comes into the garden and says, Adam, where are you? Do you think he's asking Adam because he doesn't know where Adam is? Or because he wants Adam to think about the question and realize, 
I heard you coming and knew that I was naked, so I hid. I'm hiding from you, God. Who told you you were naked? When Adam sinned, someone spoke. And it wasn't God. It wasn't Adam. It wasn't Eve. For the first time in their life, they had opened themselves up to the voice of the accuser. They told him, you're naked. You should be ashamed of yourself. You should hide. The enemy's always accusing. God's always pointing out, you're not where you're supposed to be. See, because when I walk into the garden at this time, you walk into the garden and meet me. And just because you sin doesn't mean my mind's changed. I'm still here in the garden. And you're not where you're supposed to be. Something's happened, Adam. What he doesn't say is, you filthy sinner, Adam. He says, Adam, where are you? What's he saying? He's saying, Adam, you're not where you're supposed to be. Why? Because he knows who Adam's supposed to be. He knows where Adam's supposed to be. And he knows what Adam's supposed to be doing. And when he looks and doesn't see him where he's supposed to be doing what he's supposed to be doing, he says, something's wrong. Why? Because he created Adam to be in that spot with him. And so what does he do? He points out, you're not where you're supposed to be, Adam. That's the way we call sin out in each other. It's not to go to somebody and say, you liar. It's to go to them and say, hey, where are you? Hey, I I heard you earlier, and I heard you say something that wasn't true. And it shocked me. It surprised me. It stood out to me because I believe you to be a truthful person. Hey, I saw you earlier. I saw you take something that wasn't yours. And it stood out to me because I think you're an honest, upright person who lives with integrity. What's the difference? The difference is I believe that you are who God said that you are. I believe that you are a person of integrity. So if I see you do something that's not in integrity, I come to you. But it's not to point out what you did wrong as much as it is to point out that you're actually not living up to who you're supposed to be. And so it sounds a lot less condemning and it sounds a lot more challenging. But I can only do that if I actually see you the way that God sees you. And if I'm busy judging myself based on what I've done, I'll be busy judging you based on what you've done. A lot of us need to forgive ourselves and let our past die so that the present us can actually live the life that Jesus died for us to live. A lot of us do. We need to forgive other people for what they've done so that we're not being held back by what they've done or didn't do for us so that we can actually live the life that Jesus came and died for us to live. And we're so hung up sometimes on judging people for what they've done wrong that we start to judge ourselves for what we've done wrong. Because with the measure you measure, it's measured back to you. I want grace for myself. I want to be able to have grace for me. Like if I miss the mark, not that grace isn't like, oh, it's okay, I didn't do anything wrong. That's denial. But grace says that doesn't define me. It's not who I am. There's a greater truth. Grace is what actually allows me to live a way that's better than what I lived before I was born again. It's the empowerment of God to continue to live the life that He died for me to live, not the permission to live a life apart from Him and say it's covered by grace. And so, um, I got so far out in the weeds. 
<laughs> All right, so 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm just going to close up with this. Verse 14. Listen, don't ever hold a grudge against somebody. Don't ever allow yourself to hold a grudge against somebody because by holding a grudge against somebody, you're saying, I have permission to keep something against you. I know something that allows me to see you in this way and stop myself. Because all the grudges is what you're saying. I'm going to close my heart off to you. I'm going to close a part of my life off to you. I'm going to look at you with contempt and anger. Whatever the case is, I'm going to talk to people about you. I'm going to make sure that everybody that knows you knows who you are, who you really are. And, and a grudge is basically all you're doing is saying, I'm going to give myself permission to do something towards you that I'm thankful the Father's not doing towards me. I'm going, to give you, I'm going to give myself permission to look at you and see you for what you've done wrong, even on the same hand while I turn around and thank the Father that He's not holding what I did against me. That's hypocrisy. Something Jesus hated. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know Him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away, and behold, new things have come. What is he saying? The, the love of God controls us. Because we believe that He died, and that He actually died for everybody, so that everybody could live. And he says, therefore, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we've known Christ according to the flesh. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, the love of God controls us because we really believe that He died. And He died for everyone so that everyone could live. And because of that, that's what therefore means. Because of that, we see no one according to the flesh. We see no one according to the flesh. In other words, we don't look at them and see them for the things that they've done wrong. We don't look at them in the natural with natural eyes and just call them the things that they've done wrong and label them by the things that they've done wrong or even sometimes label them by the things they've done right. You know, there's, this, there's almost as great a danger in doing that because we look at people, we see the things they're doing that are good and we begin to label them and see them through the things they've done good. The problem with that is, is that the minute they do something bad, everything that we believed about them is crashed because we saw them according to the flesh rather than through the eyes of Christ and saying, God, who are they to you? Who did you create them to be? Don't get caught on either side of that ditch. Don't build somebody up in your mind because you're seeing through the flesh and seeing the good things they do because the minute they do something wrong, everything you believed will be crashed because it was based on who they were in the natural. And the same thing with, the, with people that have done things wrong. Now, look what happens. So, so believing that Christ died for everybody lets me see the value of every person and I no longer see them according to the flesh. Look what this leads to. The next therefore. Because of that, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away, and behold, new things have come. Because I believe he died for everybody, I can see their value. And because I can see their value, I actually believe that if they are born again, they are a new creature in Christ, and that everything that was passed away, and be all, all things have become new. The first thing, the first step, is to actually believe that he died for everyone. 
How many people that He died for aren't worth us looking at them with love? How many people that God said were worth the blood of His Son are not worth our time as we talked about a minute ago? Seriously, think about that. We give ourselves permission. Well, I, I tried. I tried so many times. You just don't understand. I, I, I gave so much and I gave so much and I gave so much and this is the thanks I got. And all that reveals is that we gave and gave and gave for a better thanks than the one we received. And that we're more disappointed with the thanks that we didn't get than we are with the fact that they didn't get what God was trying to do. And we're proving all we were doing we were in it for ourselves. And it looks so selfless to everybody. But what's revealed in our heart when we say things like that is I did this for a response from them and they didn't give me the right response so I'm not going to continue to give. That's not love. That's manipulation. Oh, I'm serious. How many of us have ever said that? After everything I've done, this is the thanks I get. What are we revealing? I was in it for the thanks. I wasn't in it for you. Because this is what it looks like when we have the right perspective. Oh God, after everything that You've been showing them, this is the way that they respond. Their heart's not seeing it, God. Reach them, Father. Father, show me how to love them in a way that they can see Your love for them, God. That they would never respond that way. Why? Because the response of their heart exposes the brokenness inside. And we selfishly turn that into something that's about us. You're doing it for the thanks. And when the juice was no longer worth the squeeze, you tossed the orange in the trash can. It's the truth. Look, we laugh, but it's the truth. That's what that stuff exposes in us. We see according to the flesh. Our response is according to the flesh. And guess what? When we're seeing them according to the flesh, we're living from our own flesh. And when our flesh doesn't get the thing it was after, it responds ugly. Come on. I, I know not many of you in here, but I've heard some podcasters that said stuff like that after everything I've done. Alright, watch this. Take that phrase. Put it in the mouth of God directed towards you. The last time that you messed up. The last time you did the thing for the 250th time that you said you were never going to do again. Picture the Father in Heaven going, oh my gosh, after everything. I'm, I'm done. I'm just done. You know what? I'm over it. I'm so over it. I'm so I'm so done with this. I after everything that I use, this is the way that you res- this is how you thank me. It sounds so crazy to picture the Father towards us, but we're so thankful God will never be like that towards us. And then we turn around and give ourselves permission to be like that towards Him, proving what we don't really understand what God's done for us. If we understood what God's done for us, we would never be able to say that towards people. And the problem with a lot of this is that we're being owned by the thing that we're owning that no longer belongs to us. And because we can't get over our past, we can't get over yours. Because we can't believe that we're forgiven, it's hard for us to look at you and see you the same way. And because we've given the enemy a voice into our lives, we've allowed him to have a voice into theirs. So I just want to—I want to pray for us, and I actually want the the the, the prayer team to come up front. We, we've spent a little while since we've done something like this, but but I'd like for all the the prayer team that's here to come up front. And this is what I'd like to do. If while I'm talking, 
if a person's popped into your head today, maybe more than once, the same person, and, and you realize, you know what, I've held something against them. But just be real honest, here's the truth, God already knows. Like, this isn't for His sake, this is for yours. And you realize, like, I've given myself permission to treat people less than I've thanked God for not treating me. I've not extended to God what He's freely extended, I mean, to others what God's freely extended to me. I've given myself permission to not be okay because somebody else wasn't okay towards me. I've excused my own behavior because of the behavior of somebody else. Well, that's crazy because you're supposed to be a peculiar people. You're supposed to be different. You're not supposed to be the product of what people did or didn't do for you. You're supposed to be the product of what Jesus did for you. Your life's supposed to reflect the, the, the truth of the Gospel. Jesus said, what good is it if you love those who love you in return? Even the tax collectors do this. Even the people that don't know Him as Father. Even the lowest of this society's low, the people that you look down on the most, they love people that love them in return. But I say to you, bless those who curse you. Spitefully use you. How many people in here, be honest, how many people in here have ever felt used? Yeah. How many of you have ever held anger in your heart towards someone because they used you? You know what that proves? That it wasn't really love. There was a hook. And your determining whether it was worth it or not was based on their response. That it wasn't actually a response of understanding the love of God towards me. Look, it's okay if somebody, like, you know, you just you, you, you lay down your life for people and they just respond in a totally wrong way to be disappointed for them. It's okay to say, oh my gosh, after everything I've done, they still don't get how much the Father loves them. After everything that I've done, they still don't see the truth about themselves. That's totally okay. What's not okay is to turn that around and make it about me. Proving that I'm in it for me. And that the whole time I was doing it, it was really for your response. Because I need you to be okay so that I can be okay. Meaning what? I'm really not okay. I'm really not set free from myself. So if someone's popped into your head, or maybe a few people have popped into your head during this message at all, and you realize, I've been holding something against them. I've been seeing them according to the flesh. I've been allowing what they have or haven't done to rule me. Rule a part of my heart. If that's you, just stand up right where you are. It's okay. I promise you. I promise you. Like, he already knows. This is not for His sake. It's for yours. It's so that you can actually be set free from this thing and not be mastered by it. And so that you're no longer owned by something that you're not supposed to own. And so here's what we're going to do. If you'd like to, you can come up here and find one of these people. Uh, or just, you know, just come line up across the front because I think there's too many for every person. We're just going to pray for everybody. Just come line up across the front. You don't have to go person to person. You can just stand right in a row across the front because I think there's more people up here than there is people that are going to pray. But this is all we're doing today. Is we're saying, God, I want to see this person the way that You see them. God, if I could see them the way that You see them, there's no way I'd give myself permission to think the things about them that I think. Come on, just line up right across the front. Shoulder to shoulder, whatever it is. 
there's room. Yeah, come on. If you're, if you're getting prayed for, face the stage. If you're praying for people, face out so that way we know who's who. Come on, make your way up here. And church, well, I want to know everybody that's not up here who's walking in freedom, who's, who is seeing people no longer according to the flesh, who says that, that, you know what, I've made peace with everybody and it's okay if they haven't responded the way that I wanted them to respond. I've just done it to love them. And I trust that one day, loving them will actually prove something to them. And I trust that one day they'll see how much they're loved. And I trust that one day they'll allow the same love that changed my heart to change their heart. And I have hope for them because I know there was hope for me. And I can't give up on them. I can't allow myself to give up on them. I can't allow myself to say they're not worth my time when He said they were worth His blood. Just extend your hands towards these people. We're just going to pray for them. We're going to pray that the love of God would come and it would take away the hurt and the pain and the bitterness. But not that it would just come and take it, but that they would actually give it up. Because sometimes we hold on to that stuff. Sometimes we actually, in a way, almost like it. Because we now have an excuse and a reason for everything. And anytime something doesn't go right, we pull up that hurt, we pull up that person, that villain, and we make ourselves a victim and we blame everything on them. And it feels good to know that it's not my fault, it's somebody else's. But the truth of the Gospel says this, we are all without excuse. Every one of us stand before the Father accountable for our own actions. And when we stand before Him, before His throne, and we give account for our lives, we will not be able to point to anybody and say, if you wouldn't have, because Jesus will be standing there saying, but I did. But I did. And I'm not saying that people didn't do horrible things. Listen, I understand that. And if you need to talk to somebody about that, so that they can replace the lies that have come in because of the way people have treated you with the truth of God's Word. That's, that's, that's awesome. But I'm saying that there's a place you can live in where you walk around and it's okay when people pick up stones to kill you because you're not in it for yourself. You're actually more concerned with them than you are for you. Because you realize my life's not my own. I came not to be served, but to be the servant of all. So God, we thank You for every person standing here right now in Jesus name God I ask right now Holy Spirit that you begin to move in their heart Father you said that you, that the Holy Spirit would lead us and guide us into all truth so right now God I pray for truth to come I thank you that we would let the truth of the gospel invade every part of our heart every bitter every angry every dry place God, that we would no longer see ourselves as the victim of people, but we would see ourselves as the victim of grace. That we would no longer see ourselves as for what people have done wrong to us, God, but we would see ourselves through what You did right. Jesus, that we would be way more aware of Your sacrifice than a person's mistake. That we'd be more aware of Your sacrifice than even the things people did on purpose. That we would give way more credit and way more voice in our lives to what You've done right, God, than what people have done wrong. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that You just start to move in our hearts, God. Showing us, not according to our flesh and our eyes, but showing us according to Your Spirit who, you, who people are. I pray that we would no longer see people according to the flesh, God. I thank You, God, that we would no longer be consumed with what people have done wrong. We would be consumed with what Jesus has done right. That we would walk around so aware of the cost for our lives to be changed.
And we would never let the value of people slip below that. And I just thank You for that in the name of Jesus. I ask right now, God, for hurt and pain, for years of frustration, disappointment, God, even to be gone. In Jesus' name. God, that we would stop seeing ourselves as victims and start seeing ourselves as the recipients of grace. I thank You, Father, for what You've done. God, right now, we turn our hearts towards the people that we're thinking of and we ask that You would bless them, Lord. That You would open their eyes to the truth of who You created them to be. God, that they would see themselves as people who need You. God, that they would be so gripped by Your love, God, that their hearts would change. That the next time we see them, the next time we talk to them, God, that they would be a new person because the old is past, the new has come. God, we pray for the same grace that changed us to change them. We ask, Holy Spirit, that You would just absolutely pursue them and overwhelm them with the love that God has for them. That they would see the things that they've done wrong and cry out for a Savior, God. That they would see the hardness and the wickedness in their own heart, God, and understand they can't be fixed. That they need a Savior. And we thank You for that. God, I ask that, that from this day forward, that when the enemy starts to speak, and starts to remind us of what was done wrong, that Your voice would speak louder reminding us of what Jesus did right. And I thank You, God, for that right now. God, for Your voice being the loudest voice in our ear. That You would speak so loud that the enemy would be drowned out. That grace would shout when accusation whispers. God, that we'd be so aware of the love You showed us that we would walk around full so that everybody we encounter, God, we can pour that love out on. Whether they respond the way we want them to or not. Because we believe they're worth it, even if they don't know that they are. And I thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.